Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. My name is Adam. I'm the lead communicator around here. I cannot wait to begin this five-week talk where we're going to be talking about this idea of happy life. And I'm going to tell you about that all this morning, but it's going to be a really cool five weeks together. But I'm going to start out with something that I really want you to know. It's an insight into my life. It might give you some perspective about me and maybe my family. My wife has road rage. And I mean, like, when I talk about road rage, I mean, like, severe road rage. Like when someone, she's on 95, and I mean, Sunrise Boulevard might be the worst, and they just finished that bridge in front of the Galleria Mall, but when that thing wasn't finished, like you could literally see like the anger like welling up inside of her, and she wants to like cut people off. She's mad at me all of a sudden if I'm in the passenger seat. I didn't do anything. I said, you don't be mad at me. I didn't cut you off, but she's just angry in general, and it started to, you know, make me think about a couple of things, right? Because I noticed this, not only about her in this situation. Someone asked me after the first Service. she really have road rage? Yes, she does. Go cut her off. See how it goes, okay? But she said, so anyway, but what I started to think and see in life was this idea that everyone's mad. Have you noticed this? Everybody's mad. And if you've been around downtown Harbor Church for any length of time, you might have heard me talk about kind of like my hit list of people who have anger problems in our community. And so I don't need to go through it again, but I'm just going to kind of, you know, move through it. You know, I mean, the public's deli. Like, they, I don't know what's going on there, but there's, there's issues there, and they're dealing with it. From a staff perspective, you know this, and you're the TSA, like one of the prereqs to work for the Transportation Security Administration is that you have to struggle with anger issues in your life, because I've never seen a TSA worker smile at me, not once, right? The DMV, I don't know what's going on at the DMV, but there, I mean, everybody's mad. Not only the people who work there, but the people who are waiting there. Everybody's mad, right? And if you were to be honest about your own life, you're mad about something kind of like every day too. I don't know what it looks like for you, but you're probably mad. I've also noticed that specifically there's a group of people who seem to be more mad than everybody else. And it's this, specifically Christians. Specifically Christians seem to be mad. And I can't figure out why. I started to ask myself this question over and over again. Why are Christians so mad? Like if you were to describe a Christian that you know or someone who's engaged with the local church, you probably wouldn't use the adjective happy to describe them. Not here at DHC. Some of the happiest people I've ever met are a part of Downtown Harbor Church. But in my life, I wouldn't really call the Christians that I've interacted with and encountered happy. In fact, I have used a couple of different adjectives to describe Christians throughout my life. And these were actually kind of said back to me by people in our community who we asked when we started Downtown Harbor Church. How would you describe Christians? And they said there were a couple of things. Number one was bitter. That they're bitter. And I don't know necessarily what they're bitter about or if they taste, they, you know, something, into their, something went into their mouth and it was bad and created a bitter taste, but it's bitter, right? I don't know why they're bitter. And then this adjective was used. It was judgmental. Judgmental was a really big deal that there was judgment cast upon other people who might be different than them or have a different lifestyle than them or people who they weren't like that they were judging them. They were judgmental. And the last one was this. It's angry. And I don't understand why people were so angry. Specifically, Christians are so angry and I couldn't figure it out. So I started to think, why are these people so angry and mad? What do these people struggle with that is just different and so angry and mad? And here's what I've kind of come up with. I think this is so important for us to understand. I think that Christians, specifically those people who engage with the local church, are mad because the righteousness of God is not being upheld. I don't know if you've seen this, right? But it's like they're mad because the righteousness of God is not being upheld. Things in the ancient scripture that we were told to do as people, we're not doing. And people in cultures and communities and countries, the church is dying. And so like Christians, here's the deal. They're just like really mad that like the righteousness of God is not being upheld. 
And so what we kind of say is that we think Christians, specifically those who are angry, kind of say that God's not a big boy, right? He's not a big enough boy, and we have to take care of it. We have to be the people standing up for what is right. We have to be the people in the streets who are protesting. We have to be the people who are, and, we, and this all leads to anger, and this leads to bitterness and judgment. And so what we've heard over the course of time is that everyone's mad, specifically Christians are mad. And if you've seen this in the local church, you understand this because I've seen it in the local church. And it's not pretty because it's not an attraction to the local church. Nobody really wants to be around bitter and angry and judgmental people. That's why the local church in our country and in our world is actually dying. But we want to discover here, how can we have a happy life? Because when we know Jesus, we should be the happiest, most carefree, loving people on the planet. But we tend to think that God is not a big boy. He's not this big, universal, supreme being that is bigger than we could ever ask for, for or imagine. And you know what? We feel like we have to take care of it. Because of this, people are not happy. People are not happy. And you've seen this in your own life and in our culture. And you know this about your own life. And the truth is, is that a lot of people, even some of us in this room, we're mad about things that are beyond our control. People, a lot of things people are mad about are things that are beyond our control that we actually don't have any control over. But we're mad that this happened over here or this happened over here. And we're just, we let this kind of simmer with us. And we're bitter and we're angry and we're judgmental. But the righteousness of God. This big God who can do whatever he wants, but we have to uphold the righteousness of God. Well, let me give you a thought that I want to kind of set the stage for today. And I think it will help each one of us understand the context of this, right? And I've said this before, probably from the stage. You may have heard it. Maybe it's been a long time since you've heard it. I, say, I kind of coined this phrase a couple of years ago and wanted to put it in my book of quotes. That the guy in the back of the room, John, he's our executive director, sounded like more of an argument with my wife than a book of quotes. So I decided to can the idea, right? But this is what I started to say. The only person, don't miss this, the only person that you can control in this life is who? You. It's the only person you can control. You are responsible and accountable to God for one person's actions, yours. You're not responsible for your spouse. You're not responsible for your mom. You're not responsible for your siblings, thank God, right? Okay, you're not responsible for your nieces and nephews. You are responsible for one person you you are the only person that you can control in this life that is it and that's that's why i can't understand why is everybody so mad about all the things that are going on around them why can't christians be happy why can't we have that be a part of our mo rather than judgment and bitterness and anger why can't we do that and so i've started to think about this a lot and i started to think okay if we can't do that and we're all kind of stuck in this rut why should we be happy? What reason do we have in this life to be happy for? I mean, other than obvious blessings in our life that are other people and family and friends, what reasons do we have to be happy? If this guy, by the way, got a new shirt, right? Okay, I like that. Okay, if this guy with the new shirt is going to stand up on the stage and tell us, hey, we need to be happy, why would we do that? Well, because this guy walked the earth over 2,000 years ago, and his name was Jesus. And Jesus was new on the scene, right? Jesus was preaching and saying revolutionary things to the people of the time who had been used to a specific way their entire life, a way filled with laws and rituals and sacrifices. And Jesus then said, hey, no, 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 no. I have a new way, a revolutionary way. It's by saying yes to me and then going and loving other people. This new way is going to transform humanity. 
if you agree to accept it and believe it. Well, the religious leaders of the time, this shook them up. They were like, you know, they were shaking in their boots. They didn't like this. They didn't like what Jesus was saying. It was controversial. Why? Because it was different. And these religious leaders of the time, some of them were called Pharisees. They were considered to be some of the wisest and most knowledgeable people about the ancient text. But one of these Pharisees, his name was Nicodemus. And I love the story that Nicodemus brings to us through the scriptures today. This is such a cool story, right? And it's actually history. It's not perspective like John was talking about a couple of weeks ago in terms of a story. But Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And Nicodemus was a guy who said, hmm, that Jesus, there's something about him. And I got to go figure out what it is. And Jesus, when Jesus answered Nicodemus, he gave an answer to this man that was to change the course of the history of humanity. So if you have a scripture, you can open it to John chapter 3. If you have a mobile device, you can do that as well. If not, it'll be on this screen. Here, here it is. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Now, do you know why I think he came to speak with Jesus after dark? Because I think he wanted to kind of sneak out. Because I don't think he wanted any of his other Pharisee buddies knowing that he went to go find out who Jesus was, this guy who was changing everything. And the scripture goes on, and it says, Rabbi, okay, teacher, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evident that God is with you. And then Jesus replied with this. He said, Jesus replied, I'll tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, you have to remember, these people, these Pharisees, had been doing things a certain way for thousands of years. This was transformative and revolutionary. And if I were Nicodemus, I probably would have had the same question to Jesus. And this was his question. He said, what do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus. How can you go back in, into his mother's womb and be, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Because he had no context for what Jesus was saying. Jesus was about to change everything in the history of humanity. And Nicodemus was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe you are nuts. Maybe you are crazy like they say. Maybe you're not teaching the right thing. But then Jesus uses this phrase, which is so important, born again. And I'll tell you about this phrase, because this phrase has gotten a bad rap in our culture. You've heard the phrase born again Christians, born again believers, born again, born again. You know why it's gotten a bad rap? Because we've given it a bad rap. And people associate it with kind of weird things that go on in churches. I had someone tell me this week, it was so funny, she doesn't necessarily know about Downtown Harbor, and she was telling me about her future in-laws, and she go, I said, well, do they go to church, do they practice? And she goes, yeah, they're those born-again weirdos, all right? And I was like, oh boy, that's what culture really thinks, right? Born-again has gotten a bad rap, but let me just tell you what Jesus was trying to explain when he said born-again, and we've kind of made it weird. This is what he was trying to explain. Don't miss this, this is so, so key. If you are born again, you are new. It just means you're new. It means that when you say yes to Jesus and understand who he is and what he can do in a community and in a life, in your own personal life, when you do that, everything that has come with you in the past is gone and you are a new creation. That means you understand what God is and who he wants to do. And he, you understand this love your neighbor as yourself movement that Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then go love other people as yourself. If you're born again, it's a simple phrase, but it just means that you are a new creation. That those who follow after Jesus and have said yes to him are new. But Jesus 
goes on because Nicodemus didn't understand. He said this. He said in John 3 again, he said, but if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? He goes and then he says, for this is how God, this is the most famous verse in the entire scripture, right? This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. And then he goes on to close and he says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus said this. He said, this is how simple it is. You believe that I am who I say that I am? Say yes. And then go love your neighbor as yourself. But there's got to come a point in every one of our lives where we stop and we say yes, some of us for the first time, to Jesus. And we go, yes, I accept and I believe this. Now I'm going to go live out your mission of love in this dark world that needs us to be in it, a bright, shining light. But you know what I love about Nicodemus? Is Nicodemus did kind of the same thing that every single person in this room is doing. Because we're all here to do the same thing. Nicodemus sought to find out who Jesus really was. That's why all of us are here. That's why all of us come together to be able to figure out who is God, who is Jesus, and then how do we take that massive, transformative love into our communities so that we can show them who Jesus is and how to actually love some of us for the first time. But what I love about Nicodemus seeking out Jesus to find out who he really was, Jesus replied with an answer for all of us. Jesus replied with an answer for all of us. He said, hey, this is it. Believe in me. And you'll have this thing called eternal life, and I'm going to talk about that in a second because that's just a crazy topic, right? It's hard for us to understand. But Jesus said, if you believe in me, you get this, now go love people. Then he did something. I loved it. Then he proved it because he said, here's what I'm going to do to prove that I am who I say that I am. I'm going to tell you, and you're all going to think I'm whack, but I'm going to tell you. He goes, I'm going to go, and they're going to kill me, right? They're going to put me up on a cross and kill me, and then three days later, I'm going to come back to life. I mean, like, and they were just going, what? This guy must be nuts. And then he did it. And then so people started to understand this is who Jesus really is. And if we say yes to him, we get this miraculous gift that is so difficult to understand, but so powerful if we do, called eternal life. Throughout my time of counseling with people and meeting with people and having coffee and dinners with people from downtown Harbor Church and throughout my career, people have always asked me, Adam, question for you. What's this eternal life thing like? What's this heaven thing like, right? My response generally is, I don't know, go ask somebody else. No, I didn't, I didn't say that. But the truth is there's some truth in that answer. And let me tell you why. Because this is complex. We don't know what this is like. We don't know what the next life will be. And furthermore, there is a lot of truth that eternal life, things that Jesus is referring to, can not only happen in the next life, but can happen here and now too. That's how powerful this is. Why do you think Jesus spent most of his earthly life telling us here how to live, here and now? Why do you think he told parables about family and about people? Because we need to get this here and now on this earth as much as it will be in the next life, which we believe exists, but we don't have all the answers about it. I have no idea what it's going to be like, and neither do you. And people on Showtime think they have it figured out, but that's about it, right? I don't know what it's like, okay? But eternal life, Jesus said, if you, if you say yes to me, then you, you get this. Now that you got it, go love people. Go do it. But I will tell you just some of the things that I think eternal life consists of here and there. Here's a couple of the things that I think. I think it is filled with peace 
I think it is filled with peace and hope and this overcoming peace in our hearts for not only who God is, but how we live. And then I think it's filled with this massive amount of love. I feel like it's filled with this massive amount of love that we would never be able to understand. And you know that if you've said yes to Jesus here on this earth, that your life is filled with love. And you know if you engage with people who are around here, love is the core of everything that we do. And then, I believe this in some way that we don't understand, but I believe that you're made whole. I believe that you're made whole. You are absolutely just made right with the creator of the universe. And Jesus, what's so cool about this is that Jesus gave these answers right to this guy who was called Nicodemus. He said, right, this is how you do it. Here's the, here, here it is, man. Thanks for coming to find me. This is what you do. And that message is for all of us. So I want to talk about happy life and what that looks like. Because I know that there are a lot of you in this room who've done that and have said yes to Jesus at some point in time in your history, at some point in time in your life. Fantastic. If you believe that, you have nothing to be mad about. If you believe that, and if you claim to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus, if you believe that, you have nothing to be mad about. Now, hold on. Let's hit the pause. I'm not saying that things are going to be great for you. I'm not saying that everything's going to go your way. Bad things are going to happen to all of us. It's life. Every single individual is going to deal with that. It just does. I'm going to talk about that in week four, about what happens. How can we be happy when bad things happen and tragedy happens? But at the end of the day, if you are promised this amazing gift here and in the next life of eternal life and the fullest life that you could ever have, you have nothing to be mad about. I know somebody got the promotion that you deserve, okay? I know that somebody got something that you had coming to you, and I know your kids have stolen from you, and I know that things are bad, and like, things are, and, and like somebody rear-ended you on 95. I, I get it. Things happen in a bad way to all of us. But at the end of the day, if you believe what Jesus said to Nicodemus on that faithful night, then we have nothing to be mad about. I want every single person in this room to remember that 48 hours from now, next Tuesday, okay? Because at the end of the day, 50% of you in this room are going to be mad. And I'm okay with it, like, right? But just remember, at the end of the day, you have nothing to be mad about, which is so important, right? And I believe this, the core of my being, with all my heart, I believe that Christians should be the most joy-filled people on the entire planet. I have to tell you, so this week... I got a chance to hang out with a number of downtown harbor people throughout my week and got to hang out and have dinners and appetizers and stuff. And I just remember walking away from it going, this has been such a joy-filled week of fun and excitement and being able to connect with each other. And I hope that the people around us who saw us carrying on and laughing and having a good time looked at us and said, I don't know what those people have over there. I don't understand why they're so happy and what they're laughing about, but I want it. I believe that Christians... To be the most joy-filled people on the entire planet. You know why? Because if, if nothing else is true, this is true. If nothing else remains constant, this remains constant. When you say yes to Jesus, and it's just a simple moment of believing that he is who he said that he was. When you say yes to Jesus, you have been made right with the creator of the universe. You've been made right with this big, massive God. And once you have that moment in your life, you've been made right. And now you go out into the world and you love other people. What is there to be mad about related to that? 
I don't get it. But I do get something. There's a lot of mad people walking around out there. And there's a lot of people who are mad because they feel the need to stand up for the righteousness of God. But I will tell you this. Because I know in my life that I've been made right with the creator of the universe by saying yes to Jesus. I cannot control anything but my own actions. I can't. So if you've been made right with the creator of the universe and you can't control anything but your own actions, then be responsible for you. Be responsible for your own life. Stop being so mad and angry about what's going on around there. Do you know why? God's a big boy. He can take care of it. He's going to get the job done one way or another. You are responsible for you. And if we know that, and if we understand that, and if we believe that, then we should have the most joy-filled, happy life ever. Problem is, a lot of Christians don't have a lot of joy in their life. And so this week, I just want to tell you, I want to challenge you. If you're angry or bitter or judgmental, about certain things that go on, it's time to make that right. Because I don't know about you, but the way that the culture and community, the way that they see God is by seeing who we are. If Jesus lives in us, then we, are, we have a job to represent him to a community. And you know what? Who would want to engage with anger and bitterness and judgment all the time? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, says, you love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. So sometimes at Downtown Harbor Church, we just have moments that are bigger than other moments. And this is one of them. We were talking downstairs after the first service about this message and about the life of Nicodemus and how transformative that can be to a person's life. So if there's never come a point in time that you've actually in your heart just said yes to Jesus, now's that time. You need to do it. I'm just telling you bluntly. some point, you need to get that done because your life will be changed. You will be filled with new energy and love and his spirit that will help you go and love your neighbor as yourself. And then we're in a place where we understand that commitment takes us to this idea of eternal life that's so big that we can't grasp or imagine. If you ask me if like we're ever out and you just want to talk about eternal life, I'm going to give you John's number because I don't know. Like, right? You can call him. Here's what I want you to know. We believe that that exists, and we believe that it's real in some way. So we'd like to say this. It's kind of a phrase that we've coined, but I love it. It's this one. You're going to heaven. What are you so mad about? And when you get that, everything's different in your life. Now, let me hit pause. Because some of you are struggling with real issues. And some of you are dealing with real stuff. And I want to tell you about my week. Because I like to get transparent up on this stage. Um, those of you who've been around for a long time, you know that one of the struggles that I have in life is I struggle with an anxiety issue. Um, you have your struggles, I have mine. And that one's mine. And Monday might have been the worst day, maybe it was Tuesday, it might have been the worst day that I've had in a number of years. And I just left defeated, and I left upset that I have to deal with this, and I try to continually fight it. But after it kind of passed, I started to turn the frown upside down, so to say, and let me tell you why. Because no matter what you're dealing with, because you have stuff, at the end of the day, if you've said yes to Jesus, he will never, ever leave your side. So I remembered that. Put one foot in front of the other. And I remembered this. Don't be mad that you're struggling with it. Pick yourself up. 
one foot in front of the other. And remember, you're going to heaven. What you so mad about? If all of us just walked through every single day with that, can you imagine the number of people that would come to know who Jesus is and would engage with Downtown Harbor Church? Can you imagine? Why? Because we'd all be like magnets, like tractor beams, like people would want to go, what, I, what is that? I want it. And Jesus gave Nicodemus a clear, clear answer of how to get that done. I love that passage of scripture. So if you're mad, time to move on. If you're angry, time to put one foot in front of the other. And remember that this Tuesday. Let me pray. Um, dear God, we love you. And we thank you so much for who you are. And God, we want to be the most joy-filled people on the entire planet right here at Downtown Harbor Church. We say yes to you, Jesus. And I pray if there's anybody in here who's not done that yet in their life, that they would just, in their heart, just say yes. It's that simple. It's not this magical moment that happens. Just that I believe that you are who you say that you are. And God, I love you so much. I'm thankful for your promises to Nicodemus that they endure and that they translate to us thousands of years later. May you help us remember that. May we seek you in all that we do. And may we connect with others at Downtown Harbor Church. And we will love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus, we pray this today in your name. Amen.